Has anybody noticed anything unusual about Thomas Tuckle? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Tell me why I don't like Mondays, asked the Boomtown Rats in 1979, and in 2016, we finally have the answer. We hate Mondays because they come with overhyped games that are about as much fun as queuing in the post office when you're sandwiched between a crying baby and a guy that smells like he washed himself in raw sewage. Huzzah! Then for the Champions League, which is proving to be as interesting as Ken Bone's Reddit history. <sighs> Topical. Anyway, here to talk about all of that is Kasper Schmick. Hello. Andre Gonzalez. Hello. And Danny Isroff. Good morning. Before we get talking, gentlemen of the pod, let me whisper some sweet nothings to our listeners. Could you please go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave a comment to let us know what you think. It would be much appreciated. Right. So with all that business out of the way, poor Pep Guardiola, eh? He goes home, Camp Nou, plays where it all began for him. And he leaves with a 4-0 spanking, the heaviest away defeat as a coach. Andre, who do you think is to blame for all of it? His own tactics, Claudio Bravo, Fernandinho's choice of studs? (laughs) Poor Fernandinho. eh? Poor Fernandinho. Uh, There were some questionable um, things about uh, Pep's tactics, but the thing that really blew it was uh, Bravo's mistake. After that, it was really, really tough to to come back, and they, they didn't at all. And um, basically, I, I think it's really weird to play uh, De Bruyne alone as a number nine. I didn't understand that. I'm tr- I'm, I'm really trying to find a, a way of understanding that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, me too. Yeah, and uh, leaving Aguero out in a, in a match like this, you cannot do that. It's kind of disappointing. Especially when Barcelona lose uh, Jordi Alba and Gerard Piquet in the first half, you would have thought, well, here's a chance for Pep to bring on Aguero and really put a lot of pressure on what was a makeshift Barcelona defence. Yeah, but uh, it didn't It didn't do that. It was really disappointing. Uh, it shows another thing that uh, managers, they, they, they can pass by Barcelona and the, the machine still... Still run is still running um, with Luis Enrique and uh, Guardiola, and before that with Tito. I think it's more about the machine than the manager. We talked about that several times. How, how good you have to be to win stuff with uh, with Barcelona, and uh, yesterday we saw that even if you have a great manager on the other side, and we have seen a few, um, the machine still still running. Well, I don't think, uh, actually, Guardiola, we can place too much criticism on him. I mean, the truth is Barcelona are a better team. Let's not forget that. Playing at the Camp Nou, and, and like Andre alluded to, uh, it was relatively even before, before you know, Claudio Bravo's mistake, which is, which is a bit out of Guardiola's hands. Uh, so I think if we're going to look at the, the, the systems and the tactical decisions, there's an argument that he, he didn't get it that wrong, maybe until, until the end. Well, there's one thing I wanted to uh, point out about that is that all the talk of Bravo before he came to uh, Manchester City was how great he is with the ball, how great he is with the ball at his feet. Very little said about his hands. Um, I just wonder, was there too much pressure put on him before he came about that? And now he thinks 
maybe subconsciously, I've got to play more with my feet now because there was all this talk beforehand. Because what any other reasonable keeper would have done in that situation... Just smashed it up. Yeah, it's not pass the ball back to Luis Suarez, but absolutely chuck well, it into Rosette. I, I think it does play into it. And I think you, you almost saw with Manuel Neuer, there's a sort of complex that comes where they get sort of overconfident and way too into uh, passing the ball around with their feet. Um, so I think, yeah, then the, and, and the talk in the media, the, the pressure from the English media that he has to come in and show that he's better with his feet than Joe Hart. Uh, I, I think that could have been a factor, yeah. I wonder with Pep if he, um, if he lacks the tactical flexibility in those games. Um, in the past three years when he was at Bayern, um, they failed at the semi-final stage against Spanish teams and got some real spankings as well, <laughs> um, where I thought, or where lots of people thought, um, you know, he could have he could have had a different approach to the games. And let's not. I mean, the other thing is he's what two or three months into a job with a new team and new players, and you, you, you. For me, it's really difficult to expect that he'll walk into the camp new and outplay, probably in, on paper, the best team in the world. Um, so again, I think we shouldn't read too much into this particular particular game. We actually had a question from a listener. Wow, is, wow. is this a, is this a first? No, no, we had one last okay. week. We nice. had one last week. This is the second. Second, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's from Mad Jack Eleven uh, on Twitter. If you want to look him up, hello, Mad. Uh, he asks. Well, he has two questions. Is Messi human, and is it too <laughs> early to call Pep a fraud? Absolutely. And do, which one do you want to start with? Is Messi human? Absolutely. Uh, I I think so. <laughs> Just say, about. I would right? say so. Yeah. Okay. And what about, is it too early to call Pep a fraud? Absolutely. As Danny said, he's been in the job for three months, more or less, and uh, he's still trying something new. You can see there are some some players trying to adapt to his style still. Uh, yesterday we saw a very, very off uh, Gundogan for most of the time. Yeah. He was terrible. So it, that's not going to happen uh, very often. I, we both know that. So we need we need some time. Just give him some time. I think he could not win anything with Manchester City for the next three years, however long he's going to stay, and he would still be one of the great managers in terms of the the, the impact he's had on the game, how he's changed things, what he's won. Um, I, I really, uh, I, you know, he has something to prove for sure. But to label him a fraud, considering everything he's done, I think yeah. is. It is outrageous. But this goes back. I just go back to the point that um, that you were making earlier about um, you can be in charge of the Barcelona machine, and it can you know the manager not necessarily the most important part. So Guardiola's best achievements came at Barcelona. There's question marks over his time at Bayern Munich. I think, given the Champions League record, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call him a fraud. But I, I think that he's not as as perfect and as brilliant as many people are making him out to be. Yeah, I, I think there's an argument there. And I guess time will tell in that this is the first time he has a real challenge of sort of building a team, not from scratch, but rebuilding a team with a, you know, with, with a whole new ecosystem in the Premier League with, with lots of competition. So that, that'll be a real test. And I think it will, in that way, it, it will have an impact on his legacy, how, how he does with Man City. But uh, again, I mean, he's just won so much, and 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 more than that, he's he's you know shifted, made tactical shifts, and and had a huge impact on on the the, the game. And uh, we can expect them um, to just 
take uh, charge of Man Manchester City and in three months change everything. And I probably is even even if he is not winning anything this season, uh, we have to look at a project uh, and a long term. And I, I think that probably next next season is gonna do some changing and is gonna get rid of some players that probably he doesn't really like at the moment at at uh, Manchester City. And things would be different next season. So I think all in all, it's. it's by far his biggest challenge as a manager so far um, because Bayern and Barcelona were so far ahead in their leagues I think um, um, but I think what he needs to do is rethink his approach in in these kind of games because um, that's where Mourinho would be more flexible you know or Ancelotti is more flexible to adapt his tactics um, to play to his team's strength and and um, for for me yesterday he he didn't show that in his approach obviously bravo helped a bit but yeah but he wasn't lucky i remember that after uh, Bar- barca scored and after the goal uh city had like three clear chances and they couldn't mm. make it john stone should have got one at the back post yeah definitely yeah. and uh they didn't and after that we know what happened so um a lot of things could have been um different if one of those chances uh, worked as a, as a goal, and actually, so two other talking points. Um, I was thinking about during the match is that Mascarano is actually in a pretty accomplished right, right back. back. Yeah, it's not the first time. It's not the first <laughs> yeah. time. So, oh, isn't it? No, he played. He played as a right back um, a few times before, and he is. Oh. He's, he's a very, very, very good player, and he, he knows his things. He, you were about to say well, something. No, I think he's just one of those players who who uh, plays football with his brain more than anything else. Yeah. And if you're one of those players, you can play in different positions because it's not about having the physical attributes to be in one place or not. I mean, he the transition he made from a, a holding midfielder to a center back was ridiculous, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Yeah, remember play well that right back? in the preview of the match, um, I was writing about how important it uh, would be for City to explore the back of both fullbacks. Of, uh, of Barca, uh, and I was thinking of Sergi uh, on the right and Jordi Alba on the left, and everything changed because uh, Machado played on the right and Jordi Alba uh, came out injured. So, just like this, everything changed in a in a match. And yet they still held firm. Yeah. My other thought was, and this is going back a bit to um, to Bravo, is that Barcelona got the better deal when they kept Ter Stegen. I think I. I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, <laughs> but I wrote a piece uh, a, a long time ago saying that Ter Stegen was a much better keeper than Bravo, and I feel like I'm being justified. Well, but actually, Ter Stegen had a few mistakes similar to to the ones Bravo had in, exactly. in the league already this season. I oh, think that, two. I was hoping yeah. we. I was hoping people would gloss over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, he's he's, uh, he's very young and. Um, and has has the future in front of him, so I guess, or has his whole career still in front of him. So I guess, yes, I think they they had they did the better deal or had the better deal. Yeah, thinking of um, of the future, definitely. I, I think that Ter Stegen with thirty years old is going to be way better than than Bravo was with, with thirty. Uh, but at the moment, I I, I really trust Bravo. Um, and you do? Yeah, I do. He did uh, an amazing job when he, when. He, it was at Real Sociedad, and then 
uh, at Barca is quite reliable, despite of what we saw yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I really trust him. I think it was a good choice. It was a, a good choice for, for Man City. Okay. I'll, I'll remain a little bit skeptical. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Maybe, I'll, maybe I might trust you eventually on it. Did we want to have one final word on Lionel Messi? What can we say more about yeah, that? There's, there's yeah, there's nothing to say. We've seen it time and time again. It just makes makes the difference. My favorite moment of the night was when Fernandinho slipped. Messi just did a small delay to put Bravo on his arse. And then after that, I mean, it's just those little things that but you just... That it was other so players might weird. Just, right, but other players might just panic, panic and, and yeah, hit a yeah, first-time yeah, yeah. shot. But he just delayed and... But he had all the all the space of the world. We have to admit that that is true. But it was it was weird. weird. It, it, it looked like the the whole match was paused. For it did. That's for true. Two seconds, yeah. like something paused the match, and the only guy running was Messi. Yeah, but he always <laughs> looks like that. To be yeah. honest, see his hair is growing out a bit. It's, needs to get his roots done. <laughs> um, meanwhile, on Tuesday, Sporting, your beloved Sporting, Andre, played Dortmund and did not come out on top. As you may or may not have realized, <laughs> uh, we were we were, we're text- surprised. Yeah, we were, we were texting about this during the game, and you were telling me that um, you weren't impressed with uh, Dortmund or the behavior of their players. No, not in particular. Uh, as I as I, I I texted you that they were they behaved like a small team for the all the second second uh, half was. Uh, Really, really weird. I, it looked like we're, we're playing a lower league, lower league team for 45 minutes. In the last 15 minutes, it was ridiculous. Uh, they took like 30 seconds to make a throw in. They took a minute to to uh, to place a goal kick. Uh, the Buki was turning down the ball boys uh, every single time. Uh, it was it really, was. <laughs> really ridiculous. Um, but uh, but it worked apparently. So. What can we say about it? Was there anything that impressed you about sporting on the night? Uh, the first half was terrible. Uh, the team was really, really unfocused uh, for the first twenty minutes. It's it's really weird because it's one of those matches that you you don't need to motivate your players. In theory, you don't need it. Uh, but there's a there, there was a lack of motivation in the first twenty minutes, and it was completely fatal. The uh, uh, the goal, the first first goal, it was just. A total lack of focus for both William and then uh, Ruben, Ruben Smith. It, it was completely uh, lost in the, in the process. And it was uh, if you're lost in the process for two seconds with Aubameyang, you know what happened. It was so, a good finish by Aubameyang. It was brilliant, amazing. Okay. Um, besides that. I, I didn't like the referee. Um, oh, come on, Andre. It's beginning you're be- to sound a little bitter, Andre. You're, you're better than that, Andre. You're fulfilling all the stereotypes. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, I didn't like it. It was, it, it was um, with all, all for fair play thing in, in, a, in the final minutes, um, the whole situation was created because the, the referee didn't want to call a decision. And I hate when a referee behaves like a coward because he needs... To take a decision, he's paid to make it, and he didn't. He just decided not to do it, and I hate that. When you have a situation like that, you just call it. It's your job. Do it, and he didn't. Tell us what you really think about him, Andre. <laughs> Please. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I mean, it's you now have, is it three points? After three, three points, yeah. After three games. It's always going to be hard for you to qualify with a group including Dortmund and Real Madrid. We, we knew that that would be really, really complicated to, to qualify on, in a group like that. Um, would you be happy enough with the Europa League place then? It's... Cause it doesn't look, because Dortmund and Madrid are on seven points now. It's the... It's like, I, I re, I'm not... <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm not happy with the third place anymore. So uh, going to the Europa League, it's it's sad. And at the same time, it's uh, the best thing you can get. So, but uh, not happy at all with the third place. How are Sporting doing in the league this year? Uh, we're third to, to we're really close to the first it's place. Pro- probably the referees' fault. <laughs> no, I can't complain about the referees in uh, at, at uh, in the league so far. Um, one of the players we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast is Ousmane Dembele. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did know is, one thing, two things I want to say. From watching quite a bit of football this week, he's definitely one of the most exciting players in Europe to watch right now. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's one thing, though. He does like to indulge in his play acting a bit. It makes sense. Yeah, he's, well, he's 19, right? I, I, and I think that applies to, to, to most of the... I mean, you were saying you didn't like some of the behavior. The, the, was their average age like 22 or 23 or something? I mean, it's a bunch of kids. Yeah. Was um, it really that young as the average age? I think it's the, the youngest squad put the, out. They had... Um, um, on, yeah. the, on the last last weekend, it was, it was the, the youngest squad put out by Dortmund in in a long time. Yeah, I, I read about that. I think uh, since the, the 70s. And it the, was the, the yeah. youngest squad. I it was some, 22.5 or something like that. So. The, the team that played against Sporting featured three of the youngest, four youngest Dortmund players ever in the Champions League. Um, yeah. So really young team. And I, I, I think uh, they'll learn, they'll grow. And if anything from that Sporting game, they'll, they'll um, take heart from the fact that they were able to grind out a result and you know, be a little wily and, and sort of clever in, in doing it. One last thing about this game. Um, has anybody noticed anything unusual about Thomas Tuchel? No? One of his ears sticks out much further than the other ear. <laughs> how did you... <laughs> I'm very interested to hear how you uh, came to this well, conclusion. They keep, they keep whatever camera angle they had on Thomas Tuchel. I couldn't help but notice that his left ear is way more prominent than his than his right ear. It's like, literally, it's out there. It's it's almost like he's got like a massive satellite dish on one side of his head, and then the other one is sort of t- like the other one's tucked in nice and neat on the other side. Okay, I'm gonna look out for it next time. That's what I. It's one of the important things I took away from the game. Leicester won their third Champions League game in a row which means two things. They're top of their group with nine points and they have more points in the Champions League than they have in the Premier League despite playing five fewer games. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, it's very clear that they're, and Ranieri's even admitted it, that they're prioritising the Champions League at the moment over the over the Premier League and I don't think you can blame them at all because the truth is uh, everyone knows they're not going to repeat in the, the Premier League this season. I think they'd do very well, like I said before, to finish in the top half. But the the Champions League is a is a sort of once in a a lifetime opportunity for the for the club, and it's well within their rights to be doing everything they can to do well in that competition. And I think the group they're in makes it makes it easier for them, of course, to um, to qualify for yeah. the for the KO phase. Okay, I think they they're gonna win the group. 
honestly. Which will give them a good chance of playing a, a you know, then they'll play a second place team. They could yeah. be in the... Could be Bayern Munich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of Bayern, do we, want, we don't want to mention anything more about Leicester, do they? I mean, it was Copenhagen's first defeat in 24 matches. Well done, them. The one thing... No? No, will I bother mentioning it? I watched Please. their game against... I watched their game against Chelsea at the weekend. My... Um, better half was out wedding dress shopping so um, I had time to sit down and watch afternoon football and um, the difference in like the, the dichotomy between how they play in the Champions League and the Premier League is unreal like it genuinely looked like a bunch of pub like a pub team that had been thrown together against Chelsea they were just completely outclassed and then you watch them in the Champions League you know, Mares looks good. He looks dangerous. Um, Morgan remembers how to defend. Jamie Vardy's making those dangerous runs. Drinkwater's back to controlling games. It's it's really unreal. Well, I think two things about that. One is that uh, the teams in the Premier League have seen them now. They know them. They, right. They're, they're familiar with them. They know how to play. The, the Champions League teams haven't. And I think still in some of these teams' heads, they think they're facing Leicester and not the the champions of the Premier League so oh, they, they, they yeah. play like that and then the second thing is I, I really think psychologically from an individual player perspective it, you know it's a lot easier for some of these guys to really get up for a, a Champions League game yeah. and even even in, in the in the stadium there seems to be more atmosphere you know the, the Copenhagen fans had the flares going and it's, mm. it's just a whole different vibe um, which I think I think that kind of environment is what Leicester thrived on last season and, and that's what they're doing well in the Champions League also, it was Copenhagen and it was Chelsea. We have to realize that. Yeah, but Leicester haven't played well against too many people in the Premier League at all. So. Yeah, and uh, Ranieri left out um, Marie and uh, Slimani. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, against Chelsea. Against mean. Chelsea. Yeah, yeah he that, did. that makes a difference. Okay, we mentioned Bayern Munich. They also won, Kasper? Yeah, they ended a run of three games without winning. Um Which is good, and I think the, the best uh, <laughs> is good. the best sign was that um, Iron Robin uh, seems to be back, and it's 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 um, interesting to see that um, a guy who's 32 years old um, is still able to make those runs um, on the wing that he that he did for the past 15 years, um, and he still makes a difference. And um, him and Ribéry on the left now. Ribéry was injured uh, yesterday, but um, he's also had a great start to the season, and it basically shows they're still the best wing pairing that Bayern have. Um, That's incredible. So I think Bayern in, in a couple of years, um, they will they will have a, a deep cut or sort of rebuilding job to do. I mean, obviously, they're, they're still, they're already on the case with Coman uh, and Costa. Um, but I mean, they, they have something to prove now um, this season and, and haven't haven't shown so far that um, that they're able to step up. Okay, we could praise Joshua Kimmich, but we've praised Joshua Kimmich quite a bit. Yeah, let's got a got, week when we can't praise him and then mention him again. Yeah, has he, has he got more goals than Lewandowski this season? Seven and eight in his last eight games. Hey, take that Lewandowski. <laughs> um, any other business people would like to mention? Colotori and the greatest own goal well, of all time, I, maybe? I thought Colotori's own goal was the funniest thing I've it's seen super. In, in ages. Because it's not just that, that he scored, an, it was a brilliant finish, I don't know if you guys saw it, but he put it right in the top corner, <laughs> going back to his own goal. It was classic. But he also was involved in the build I mean he basically assisted his own own goal which is remarkable he gave the ball away made a couple of fluffy tackles and then put it in it was a great finish top really, corner really good yeah oh, unreal Fantastic. Um, yes Kasper another thing to mention uh, Mesut Ozil um, oh, yeah. scoring a hat-trick um, yeah. his first in his career yeah and um, basically he's um, 
he started putting his uh, scoring boots on uh, this season. Did you, guys, did you guys see that picture on Twitter of the last time he scored a hat-trick? It was for Schalke under-19s, and he had that terrible sort of mohawk, uh, mohawk hairstyle uh, going yeah. with the dyed blonde. Yeah. I liked it. I liked, <laughs> like it I, the, I liked the haircut. I thought it was good. The mohawk? Yeah. yeah. I thought it looked cool. Yeah. But not on Uzi. Look at the, look at the <laughs> maybe picture. Not on Uzi. Um, maybe a final word in the Champions League on poor Igor. Yeah, it's uh, 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 he. Uh, you know, he has this long streak of of not having a clean sheet in Europe since uh, 2006. This is Igor Akinfev. Igor Akinfev for, yeah. for, for for CSK Moscow, and he was three minutes away. And three minutes. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do. He didn't cover himself in glory on the goal. He parried it to Bernardo Silva. My favorite part about this was, I think he's so aware of the record that after conceding the goal, he was so upset that he slammed the ground like Sami Kafur after the uh, '99 <laughs> Champions League final. Which, I mean, obviously it was sad for his team, but I think for him it must just be torture at this point. Um, I found it very entertaining. I have yeah, to say, no, me too. Watching, but, watching his it reaction. It was a good, good vibe on Twitter. Yeah. It's now three days since Red Monday. Enough Red Monday. I mean, come on, Sky. It's a pretty blue Monday. Yeah. Um, enough time for you all to have had a good, long, hard think about the game. Um, I'm going to ask you what did you make of it. But first, I have to. I have to admit, I was a bit. I was being a bit disingenuous in my in my introduction. I actually really enjoyed the game. I thought it was great. Uh, not great. I'm just not going to get in as an all time classic. But I don't think it was as bad as many people made it out to be. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I know this is not the popular opinion and I'm really not being hipster or contrarian or anything, so but I, I genuinely in, enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of reminds me of a point that Gary Neville once, was once making, which is uh, we, we don't quite give the same credit to, to great um, defensive performances that we do to, to, to great attacking ones, but there is a certain beauty. I mean, it, it's in the eye of the beholder, but there is a certain beauty in... In, in watching teams just defend intelligently and yeah. and and shut shut down the opposition, which is what I think Man United did. Dre and Casper, you're not so enthusiastic about it, are you? It was. Uh, I, I I'm not gonna get those two hours back. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it was just uh, terrible. Yeah, I agree, <laughs> I agree with Andre. Um, I had a friend over to watch it and. Um, was one of those games where you just end up talking all the time and actually the game is going on but nothing's happening on either end so um yeah i can i can appreciate the tactics or the defending uh, or david tejas performance mm. um what but, a save that was yeah, yeah. amazing yeah it did two amazing two, saves two of them, two. Yeah. the second one is more i would say spectacular which was the one the that first he, one was the does it the second the, one where he used his up the hand that you wouldn't have thought he should have used his right should, hand yeah, technically yeah, you should use that so uh, to yeah. make it beautiful, yeah. and he did it perfectly. What was but that? Was that from Coutinho? Yeah, Coutinho. Yeah, Coutinho. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. It was, yeah. I thought Coutinho and uh, Herrera were the the only two good things about the match. Honestly, do you know who was terrible? Paul Pogba. Oh, yeah. let's go. Let's dive into Pogba again. We, we talked a <clears> lot. <throat> I mean, we talked about that uh, on off <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I mean, we won't. I mean, we don't have to, but I just was struck that I mean, it's the sort of game that you buy a hundred million euro player to make a difference in. And while I, I'll give him this, he's being played out of position. He's not a number 10. Um, he doesn't play well with his back to goal, but also he's really lacking in confidence. He's not, from what I can see, he's not taking on players. He's not really trying to beat players. 
I don't know whether it's that being played out of position has knocked his confidence or whether it's the price tag. Just thought it was interesting how, how poor he was in such a big game. I thought that was the sort of match he was built for. He's been playing out of position and uh, you cannot turn that down. Um, at Juve, he was playing with um, two guys that you probably know quite well, Marquisio and uh, Kedira. Mm -hmm. Things are quite um, simple if you play with those guys behind your back. Yeah, He doesn't have that uh, at Man United. Right. And uh, Herrera was brilliant, but then the other solutions that you have, not as brilliant as we um, expect from a club like Man United. That's that's the truth. And he, he needs some time to adapt. And there's a lot of pressure, as uh, we know, coming from all over the place, including the, the media, when it comes to Pogba. They're expecting the world from Pogba. They're expecting that Pogba uh, is going to end the the, the, the the league with 30 goals scored and 15 assists, uh, the, to say the least. So they need to calm down and give him some time. And uh, Mourinho needs to uh, put him... Um, in the right place because he's not playing on, on the right position. And stop playing Marcus Rashford as a right back. <laughs> Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, this week sees Milan welcome runaway leaders Juventus to the San Siro as first takes on third in Serie A. Here to talk about all of that is Oliver Fisher from Sembre Milan. Hello. Oli, before we talk about the game, I wanted to get your thoughts on the recent criticism of Gigi Buffon. I know he made up for it with a good display against Lyon on Tuesday with arguably one of the saves of the season so far, but where has it all come from and, and is it justified? Um, I don't think it's that justified in all honesty because, you know, Gianluigi Buffon is the kind of goalkeeper that you run out of superlative for, you know, he's, he's an incredible, incredible keeper and um, at the end of the day, uh, like a lot of goalkeepers, the best goalkeepers in world football, he may have a bad game from time to time. Um, and, you know, he, he, he is getting quite old now, um, as everyone keeps getting reminded. But at the end of the day, you know, he's joint first for clean sheets in Syria. Um, and he had a, a wonderful display, like you said, in the Champions League in midweek. Um, and ultimately, he will save Juventus a lot more points than he will lose them. So that's the only way you can really look at it, to be honest. Um, they don't have a natural hair to the throne, so to speak, at the moment. Um, so that may be something that they will look to address. But, you know, for the moment, Buffon will just keep doing what he's doing. He's a class goalkeeper and he's a class act on and off the pitch. No natural hair until they try to steal Donnamora from Milan, eh? That's not happening <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the past few seasons, Milan um, have been, without trying to sound too bad, a bit of a mess. But with 16 points to their name, this is their best start to a season since 2010-11, uh, the year of their last mm -hmm. Scudetto. What, what's happened this season? Why is it all going so right? Um, well, I don't really know how to answer that, to be honest. Obviously, we've got a new coach uh, who's coming in, Vincenzo Montella. And um, he started to to deploy his style, and the players are starting to sort of get to work in his system. Um, we're playing at the moment a four-three-three formation, which, uh, when we're on top in games, is looking really threatening. We always look like we've got a goal in us. Um, um, but at the same time, he's not really sorted out the defence that much. You know, we we won four-three against Sassuolo the other week. Uh, 
which was which was a remarkable game. Um, so I don't know what I put put the good start down to. Perhaps we have had a little bit of an easy start to the season. You know, we've got Juventus and, and Inter coming up, uh, sort of winning the next month, and and they'll be tougher games. Um, and we lost to Napoli earlier in the season, um, which was our first sort of real real test. Um, but I think. Mostly, it's it's down to a, a change in mentality under Sinisa Mihailovic last season. It was it was a very defensive oriented approach. Um, I don't think he knew what his best eleven was. Uh, whereas this season, the team kind of picks it pick, well, it picked itself until Montalivo got injured. But thankfully, we've got a plethora of midfielders who were waiting to come in and take his place. And um, yeah, the the passing seems a lot more fluid. Uh, there seems to be some kind of clear intent going forward, using the wide men a lot better. And then you've got Carlos Backer at the end of it, who's who's uh, scored six league goals already this season. So I would say that it's front to back, it, it's looking a, a lot more organised. Um, speaking of your plethora of midfield options, one of them is uh, Manuel Locatelli. Just, mm. just there's been a lot about him recently. Just how good is he? Um, he's he's a he's a good young prospect that's how I would describe him at the moment you know there were a lot of people who were a bit concerned when he was thrust straight in to start instead of Montalivo um, which is I would say understood because he's only 18 years of age and you know it was his first Serie A start um, and you know the, the kid's got a lot of talent uh, albeit no one no Milan fan really knows in, in what position across the midfield he would be best but he played you know what be considered the register role um, really well in place of Montalivo. Uh, he he breaks up play very well. He's he's not scared to get stuck in, and then you know like you've seen against Sassuolo, he can come on and score an absolute screamer, um, and and that is something which we can hopefully see develop over the next couple of seasons uh, if he keeps getting opportunities like this. Um, obviously, like like I said, Montalivo's out for six months with a serious injury, um, which means that he's, he's most likely going to get a lot more uh, opportunities in the team to develop and show what he can do. Um, so at the moment, none of us really know what he's capable of, but you know, it's, it's a good kind of journey to be on. So no need for Cesc Fabregas then? See, that's another one that's interesting because it, it's literally splitting Milan fans right down the middle whether we need to go and, and um, get a player like Cesc Fabregas. Personally, I would I would really like to get a player like Fabregas in, in Serie A. I think he could be a, a real weapon. He, he could dictate the play, um, sit a bit deeper than the two other midfielders and um, and, and distribute well to, to the wide men and also play the odd killer ball I could I could really see it working in Montella's system um, but I I just can't see it happening to be honest I, I can't see Chelsea letting him leave unless they were going to try and um, manufacture some deal with Ron Magnoli but I really don't want to sell him so we'll see what happens in January but you know I'm not too fussed How do you um, how do you see Saturday's game panning out then? Well it's 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 not a Historically, it's not a good game for Milan in recent years. Um, we've we've not beaten Juventus for what feels like an eternity. Um, and last season at home, we went one nil up and, and we lost two one. 
but everyone came away from that saying it was a good performance. I think, again, we'd, we'd probably take a good performance and whether that be a, a draw or even nicking three points, that would be absolutely massive. Um, but I'm never, I'm never filled with confidence going into a game against Juve because they always seem to up their game a little bit to play against us. And um, obviously they've, they've won seven out of their first eight games. Uh, they've only conceded five goals in those eight games. Um, I hope we can find a way to score. If we score the first goal, I might put them under a little bit of pressure. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not confident. I fear the worst a little bit um, because in our like recent game against Kievo, um, we were under the cosh for the first 25 minutes. You know, Kievo were really dictating the game, uh, but they couldn't score. Whereas I feel like if we started like that against Juventus, we'd we'd be a couple of goals down early on. Um, elsewhere in Serie A, there's been some interesting stuff going on with uh, Maro Icardi. Um, for those who, who missed out on this story, could you briefly fill them in on what happened? Well, yeah, so what happened is uh, Mauro Icardi signed a, a five-year extension uh, with Inter after a lot of debate in the summer about whether he was going to leave and perhaps go to the Premier League. Obviously, his agent slash wife, um, Wanda Icardi, didn't really help that speculation. She was uh, a bit vocal in the media about how Inter were handling the situation. Uh, and then after he signed the extension, he brought out an autobiography in which he referenced the game, I believe it was a couple of years ago, um, where Inter lost against Sassuolo and he went over to the fans and uh, tried to give his shirt to, to a young fan and it got thrown back at him. Uh, and then he also made some kind of comment which roughly translates to saying that um, if it was Argentina, he could get however many men to come and kill whoever and it all got a bit messy because it seemed like he was threatening the ultras. Um, so then, obviously, that autobiography came out. The Curva Nord, which is Inter's main fan group, where the ultras are, they got wind of it um, and produced a banner basically calling him a piece of crap and and all all this kind of stuff, saying he's not fit to be the captain, uh, which I think affected his performance and the team's performance because they actually lost that game 2-1 at home against Cagliari. Um, and then Inter have been forced to come out and confirm him as captain this week, saying that they weren't going to strip him of the captaincy, despite what he said in his in his um, in his autobiography. So it's it's been a bit of a messy situation, and it's not what Inter need at the moment because you know they're sitting in mid table, and um, they really need their captain to be firing. But it, it thrusts his future into doubt once again because you've got to question whether his relationship with the, those ultras that he. Uh, that he's obviously had the, the row with is ever going to be the same again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But yeah, it's not the best situation on the blue side of Milan. And Frank De Boer is another man under pressure as well, isn't he? There's talk of Capello and Rudy Garcia being lined up to replace him. Yeah, um, Frank De Boer for me was, you know, from kind of an outsider looking in, it was a strange appointment um, because he, he was being taken massively out of his comfort zone in a league where, you know, no disrespect, but with Ajax, he, he's going to be expected to win the league with that squad every season. And he did it um, for the most part. And then it comes to Inter, which is a team that is not yet ready-made. You know, they, they have been taken over by a, a, a massive Chinese company who've got a lot of money and and uh, they've bought good players, obviously, like Jean Mario. And and um, it's, it's such a high-pressure environment. And, and so far, you know, they've lost three out of eight and they've only won three out of eight and it's 
it's a little bit of an average start to the season. Um, but I would say that fans in Italy are very quick to forget what what's happened in the in the recent future. And of course, Inter are the only team to beat Juventus this season. Uh, they beat them two one at San Siro, and they put out a bit of a masterclass that was led mainly by uh, by Deboer's tactics. So. Um, I think a lot of it will come down to how they play in the next few matches, but I think I think it would be kind of silly to sack him straight away because that would just be going back to back to square one. Um, but you know, from a from an AC Milan fan's point of view, if he keeps doing bad for them and they keep him, then you know, so be it. That was Oli Fisher from Sempre Milan. Hey, Ola Cardi and Wanda. Oh yeah, I wonder. She's uh, she's been with uh, Maxi Lopez. I I think uh, an yeah. old old friend of Icardi's from Argentinian times. She's, she's two kids with him. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting situation. You know, Father's Day comes around. You know, <laughs> that, that's the thing. Icardi has a history of sort of stabbing people around him in the back. Oh, it's a, hold on. Do I need to get the lawyers onto this one? No, no. I mean, it's just that thing, you know, the oh, Maxi okay. Lopez thing. And then yeah. now he's decided. I mean, why would you ever say anything about the, the ultras of your own yeah. team in your autobiography? How did nobody, why, in, the, did are, nobody in the club are, read the book beforehand? Probably, why are you writing an yeah, autobiography? Another good question. Uh, <laughs> is, is what, 25? 23, 23. 23. He's young. Why are you writing an autobiography yeah. uh, uh, when you're just 23 years old? Theo Walcott did well when he was about 15. So... That was a project for high school, probably. So. <laughs> no, he did one. He did one after what was he nineteen, something like that. I think he released one. And Wayne Rooney's got about five. Yeah, that's true. Oh, there's a lot of uh, to write about uh, Wayne Rooney. So who buys these books? Can, I don't know. Would you buy a Wayne Rooney biography? Uh, no, but I'm now I'm interested on Icardi's biography. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind reading it. <laughs> I think I think that might be the headline from it. Uh, elsewhere in Syria, um, you want to talk about Napoli? Danny? Well, yeah, just that they've struggled a little bit. I mean, they've uh, they've they've lost three straight now in all competitions. They're down to fifth um, in Syria, and it's sort of coincided a bit with the with the Milik injury. Um, yeah, and they've been linked to some basically anyone who's ever played striker who's uh, closer who's closer Dani Osvaldo Trobba not really da not Dani Osvaldo yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. they've been linked to just it about if, if you played professional football and scored a goal they've been linked to you <laughs> even uh, <laughs> Kevin Kurani was linked yeah, yeah. <laughs> not really <laughs> yeah <laughs> closer wouldn't be a bad chat though yeah, I'm sure he can but I mean, score. he's not getting any younger. He's like 38 now yeah it would be yeah. just something, to stand in the middle of the it box it would be something like a six months contract right Pippo and Zaghi yeah. as well, he'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, they're, they're, they're struggling a bit. Um, so we'll, we'll see, I mean, who can challenge uh, who can challenge Juve at the time. I, I got to say that I'm a bit surprised that uh, Sarri didn't see something like this coming. Uh, he only have, uh, has two, two players to play in a box. So um, you have uh, Milik and Gabbiadini. And if you don't have Milik, you have a lot of problems because uh, Gabbiadini is, is good, but he's not that good. He's a very different player from Milik as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, they were talking about playing uh, Mertens as a false nine up front. And I really love Mertens, but he's definitely not a number nine. He's not a number nine in the way that Kevin De Bruyne is not a number nine. No, not at all. Yeah. Okay. 
That's all from us today. My thanks to you, Danny, Casper, Andre, Ollie, and our producer, Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OneFootball. Thanks for listening. I love-